How's everybody doing tonight? It's something you'd say at the start of a stand-up comedy set special. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks for all that you continue to do in our lives and ask that you may send forth your Holy Spirit upon us as we begin this Advent season, that you may prepare our hearts to receive your Son at Christmas, that you may keep us attentive to your word this Advent season, and you may continually encourage us and, and move us to follow your Son more closely. And we entrust this time into Mary's hands as she waited so patiently for the birth of her Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thanks everybody for, uh, for coming out this evening. I know we did a, uh, a family, family kind of parents' night back in May to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary. May is always Mary's month, and we figured Advent would be another good time to do that. In some ways, just to kind of uh, maybe reinvigorate your own Advent as you kind of lead your families into this, this great Advent season, and maybe just to reflect on what the, the meaning of this is and, and what, we're doing, what we're doing in this Advent season as we prepare for the coming of of Jesus Christ at Christmas. And I just in, you know, with Advent, always kind of the start of Advent coincides with the, with the Thanksgiving holiday. And so this, this, um, this week, or last week, my parents came up from Georgia for Thanksgiving. And I did the same thing I do every time my parents come up to visit. I opened the refrigerator and looked around to see what do I need to throw out so that I don't embarrass myself when my mom shows up. And there was, of course, a handful of things. There was a, there was a, couple, a couple things that, you know, mold was growing. There was a couple things like, how did that make it being out of date for 18 months? And, you know, guy stuff, right? And uh, I thought that's, in some ways, a, not a bad image for what Advent is all about. Right? And Advent, in some ways, is we're preparing for somebody to come. We're preparing for somebody that we love to come. We're come, preparing for the Lord to come. It's in some ways a chance for us to look around and see what's gone bad. To look around, not of course in our in our day-to-day life, but look around in our hearts to say, well, what what needs thrown out here? What needs dealt with? And then every now and then you can look and you find something really good. Like my mom, so the three of us, Father, Father Willig, Christopher, our seminarian intern, and myself, we drink more than our fair share of coffee. All of us like our coffee black though. And so on my stuff to get list was creamer because my parents drink creamer in their coffee. But I found some creamer in the fridge that still had about three months left and so I thought that's a win. So every now and then when we look around in our hearts and we're looking around to see okay where's the Lord in all of this we'll find stuff worth keeping. Right? It's not just about looking around to see what's bad look what we can kind of point the finger at for ourselves but also to see well where is the Lord working? Where's his, where's his blessings? And so hopefully this this Advent season can be a time for us to, to look at that also, to see where the Lord is working in our lives. And also, I meant to say this at the start, I, uh, I forgot to uh, tell our maintenance people to turn on the heat, and then when I realized it, it was too late because it wouldn't heat up. And, you know, it takes like an hour and a half or so to heat up, so I thought, well, that wouldn't work so much. So 
I'm going to put as much hot air as I can in this place, and maybe that'll help. But um, so I'm sorry for that. It's not the most hospitable thing. So, but so for this Advent Advent season, there's there's normally great figures that we look at for Advent. There's people that come up in in the scriptures in our in our liturgy that are really central figures of Advent. Probably the two that we think of the most would be Mary, because the waiting that she has. We hear the Gospels of the angel Gabriel coming, coming to Mary. And then St. Joseph, the fourth Sunday of Advent this year, will have Joseph's dream as, as the, uh, the Gospel. But one of them also, and maybe probably the, the, I don't know, the one that we reflect on the least is St. John the Baptist. And so we thought we'd take tonight, so we're doing this at all four parishes, to just take a closer look at St. John the Baptist. I think we, we all know the story that's depicted kind of up here on the, the left-hand side, the far left, of Jesus' uh, baptism by John in the Jordan. But there, there's so much about John's life that helps us this Advent season, that really kind of guides our way and, and shows us how we should prepare for the coming of our Lord. So one of the things that we, uh, we asked everybody, I don't know if everybody brought their Bibles, but we're just going to kind of read the, some of the stories of John the Baptist and reflect on them. And if you don't have your Bible, for some of these stories, they're going to be in the upcoming Sunday Gospels, so they'll be in the Pew Missile. So when we get to those, I'll, uh, I'll let you know, but we're not going to start there, unfortunately. So if you want to read along, we're going to start in uh, Luke chapter 1. Great place to start. And when we, Luke chapter 1, so the start of Luke's gospel, it really shows like Jesus being prepared for by John the Baptist. So the first chapter of Luke's gospel is, is quite long. So it starts with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist to Elizabeth and Zechariah. And then it goes to the announcement of Jesus' birth when the angel Gabriel comes to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we get John first, then Mary. And then we get the two of them together as Mary goes in haste to the hill country to visit Elizabeth, her cousin who's with child. And then we go to the birth of John the Baptist and then the birth, the birth of Jesus at the start of chapter two. So we get, right, we get John, John's announcement, Jesus's announcement, both of them together, John's birth, Jesus's birth. So we get, we get John the Baptist leading the way. So we're going to go ahead and just read this story uh, together of the announcement of the birth of John. So, so starting with birth, uh, verse 5, and your translation might be different from mine, but, but that's okay. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in the eyes of God, observing all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Once was he, he was serving as a priest, and his divisions turned before God, according to the practice of the priestly service. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to burn incense. So basically, he's one of the priests. They're offering these sacrifices, and he gets the one. He gets, you know, they kind of roll the dice to see who's going to go into the, the holiest part of the temple to offer the, the sacrifice to God. And so he gets, he gets not whatever the opposite of the short straw is, he gets the, he gets the bigger part. And so he goes in there into the, the Holy of Holies. All right, so then picking up with verse 10 again. 
Oh, he's uh, burning incense. So then when the whole assembly of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense offering, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled by what he saw, and fear came upon him. Just a, a word of note. Normally in the Bible, when an angel shows up, the reaction is fear. And sometimes when we see a Hallmark card, we get this like kind of chubby, prepubescent baby that looks like an angel. Ain't nobody afraid of that. But when a real angel shows up, the people are, oh, you know, they get, they get scared. So, sorry if you're a big fan of Hallmark. But, um, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the sight in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers toward children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to prepare a people fit for the Lord. So that's a lot that this, this child is being offered. There's a whole lot that this, this uh, Gabriel is promising that's going to happen for John. And Zechariah, then Zechariah said to the angel in verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him in reply, I am Gabriel, who stand before God. I was sent to speak to you, to announce to you this good news. But now you will be speechless and able to talk until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled at their proper time. You look at his response, and we're probably more familiar with the, uh, with the interaction that Gabriel has with Mary. And Mary says, how will it happen to me that the mother of my, our, what is it she say? Oh my. You know, it's like you pray it in the Hail Mary and read it all the time. How can this be since I have no relations with a man? And you think, well, Zachariah got struck speechless. Why didn't Mary get struck speechless? And there's, there's a little difference. So Mary says, how is this going to happen? Basically, like, by what means is this going to happen? Zachariah says, how do I know this is going to happen? And if I was Gabriel, because I happen to be just a smidge sarcastic, I would say, because I'm telling you, Zachariah, that's how you know this is, this is going to happen. But Zechariah is, is speechless at this time. But you think about all the great things that Gabriel says is going to happen to him. Right? He'll, prepare the, he'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and then there's birth, they're both far, far advanced in years. And you could imagine everything that's going on in Zechariah's head, and you can probably have a bit of sympathy for him. When we're talking advanced in years, we're normally talking like 60 is what we're thinking. So maybe some of you, your, your parents are about 60. And I know my parents are in their early 60s. Maybe they're in their 70s. I don't know. Um, but you could imagine what would happen, right? When somebody's 45, you're kind of shocked when you're about ready to have a child, much less when you think like, oh my gosh, we're in our 60s, and how is, how is this thing going to play out? Actually, I recently, I saw a video today of, uh, of a, a husband and wife who are 46, and their youngest is six, 
and so they had to tell their kids that they're having a they're going to have a new sibling and the uh the kids were overjoyed. You know, at Thanksgiving, they pulled, out a, uh, they pulled out a cake. You know, mom and dad had basically covered the cake in icing, so they cut into it to see what, what, uh, what the sex of their new little sibling was going to be. And uh, there was a, this six-year-old boy had been praying since he was two for a younger sibling. And so he, was, he cut into that cake, and it was blue, and you would have thought he just won the, the Powerball. So um, the joy right? Even in the midst of the unknown, and that's what we see in Zechariah, that he doesn't know what's going to happen, right? He might die before this kid's 10 years old, and, uh, and yet here's this, this great joy. But he questions. All right, so that's where we, we leave off in verse 20 there, and then we get a little bit of kind of Zechariah comes out of the sanctuary, and he's just kind of like mouthing things to people, but he can't speak to say what happened, and so they just kind of go on. And, uh, and then the angel, right, the, the angel comes to Mary. That's in verse, verse 26 there through 38. Let's skip, though, to the birth of John. So nine months pass after Zechariah, and Elizabeth clearly gets pregnant. And, uh, and this is what we're going to hear in verse 57. So when the time arrived for Elizabeth to have her child, she gave birth to a son, Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy toward her, and they rejoiced with her. When they came on the eighth day to circumcise the child, they were going to call him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said in reply, No, he will be called John. But they answered her, There is no one among your relatives who has this name. So they made signs, asking his father what he wished him to be called something to notice there. So remember, Zechariah is deaf, or he's mute, but they make signs. He's not deaf. If they speak to him, he can actually hear them. It's talking that he can't do. And you think like, well, why didn't... It's just the confusion of all of this, that this birth of this son has caused so much confusion that they can't remember what it means to be mute versus what it means to be deaf. So anyways... So they made signs, asking his father what he wished him to be called. He asked for a tablet and wrote, John is his name, and all were amazed. Immediately his mouth was open, his tongue freed, and he spoke, blessing God. Then fear came upon all their neighbors, and all these matters were discussed throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard these things took them to heart, saying, What then will this child be? For surely the hand of the Lord was with him. Just like us to to ponder for a little bit that phrase that everybody asks, what then will this child be? I mean, all of you here are parents, and you have that experience of holding a baby in your arms and saying, what will this child be? Like, what will happen? Will he be smart, or will she be beautiful, or will they, you know, be athletic, or will they, you know, be very successful in their career? And even we have that, those same questions for ourselves, like, what, what, will, what will we be? What, what is life going to look like in the next 10 years for us? What is life going to look like in the next 25 years, or, or anything like that? There's this, in some ways, hopeful anticipation of what will happen to a child, but then also the, the kind of curiosity 
And we've all probably been through enough of life that there's also a little bit of fear and trepidation that if we've been through life enough, we know that we've picked up our own knocks, we've had our own shortcomings. And we're like, oh gosh, I wonder what will happen to this child. And even, I know parents, the, the kind of, the angst that comes with that. Am I raising this child, these children right? Are they going to, what's going to become of them? And that's a really, like a, a, a great open-ended question that everybody asks, everybody around their community, everybody around Zachariah, around Elizabeth asks, what then will this child be? And of course, it's, it's the works of God that make this happen. It's the, the kind of the amazing things they're seeing the Lord do that make this happen. So that's really how the, the story of the birth of John the Baptist after this is when Zechariah then um, is filled with the Holy Spirit, so his, he's able to speak, and then, uh, then he praises God, and that's there at the end of chapter 1. But we're going we're gonna to skip ahead into John's life, and this is where the, the pew missile can come in handy if, um, if you didn't bring a Bible. We're going to go to, for those with a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3, for those that are going to use the Pew Missile, you can go to page 56 in here if you want to follow along. Excuse me, 57. So we're going to fast forward a little bit into John's, John's life. So this, this is the gospel for this, this upcoming Sunday that we're going to read, read at Mass, get our, our, um, our dose of John the Baptist. So the gospel uh, this Sunday is chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So it reads, In those days John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers!' Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's intense. And I... The, the picture of John the Baptist. Like just try to picture this guy in your head. So he's out in the desert, 
right? So just he's out in the wilderness, just out there, and he's got, he's wearing a camel hair cloak, basically. You can imagine how pleasant that is, right? That is not like a fleece or anything like that. It's got a leather belt to keep it tight, and then he's eating locusts and wild honey, or wild locusts and honey, something like that, one of the two. So you just kind of picture this guy, and uh, he's like a He's like a wild man. Anybody ever seen like uh, the, the Robin Williams Peter Pan movie? So the Peter Pan, he reminds me of one of the Lost Boys. You know, the Lost Boys are basically living out on their own and they're basically just savages. And that's kind of the image of John the Baptist. And I don't know if anybody's been watching the Chosen series, but there's John the Baptist is just like a stark, intense, like absolutely no social skills sort of guy, but he's got this edge and this passion about him, right? He's got this, like, fire flows through his veins, and we get that in, in John, because as these, the Pharisees and Sadducees come out, so not only does he look kind of crazy, but the, the religious leaders come out at the time, and he calls them a brood of vipers. Now, that's an insult right there, like, to call people, like, that's Snakes are vicious. Snakes are the enemy in the biblical imagination, right? At the very beginning in the book of Genesis, snakes are not who you want to be associated with. And yet that's, John the Baptist calls them out. And you know, some of them you want to high five them like, yeah, tell them, John. But, But he's just kind of a wild man. And even at the start of the, that verse two, he was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, to turn away from sin because the, the kingdom is present. You think about what with this repent, basically what it means is to convert, to, to, change, to change our lives, and God bless you. And that's the, that's the image that we get in Lent, is of this wild man that's edgy, that is unrefined, basically calling out those who think highly of themselves to repent. And that's, that's the image that, that we're given. And I was, I was uh, in, a, in a conversation earlier today. It was actually, somebody was talking to, to a group of people, and they were, they were describing, like, the desires of our heart and how we really just want to be accepted so, so often. Like, when you go on the first day of school, like especially if you're going to a new school, you're not worried about what the math program is like or how you're going to be evaluated on, on an exam. Like the first day of high school, you walk in and it's like, am I going to fit in? Are there going to be friends? Is somebody going to let me sit with them? And John the Baptist doesn't seem like he would fit those stereo, or fit in at all. And, um, but yet, the fascinating thing is people flock to him. And that's a really interesting thing, this kind of wild man that's, you know, just hanging out in the desert. Everybody's coming, right? Um, what, what's the, the line? At that time, Jerusalem, so that's a big city, Judea is like the state that Jerusalem is in, and the whole region around the Jordan River were going out to him and being baptized in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. He doesn't seem like he would be a popular man, right? To, to be calling people brood of vipers, being unkept, being kind of just a savage. 
And yet people were drawn to that. And I think that presents like a, a question for us, like what drew people to John? What about that character is captivating for us? And even as you try to picture John in, in our heads, to think what, what, is, what draws people to that? And I, I could only answer for myself, but there's something about the conviction. Even if somebody doesn't seem like they're accepted by everybody, to see somebody with belief, somebody with absolute conviction and fire in their lives, that they're, they're willing to look like an idiot, right? They're willing to just hang out there and dipping his hand in the honey like Winnie the Pooh or something like that. And they, they want to follow that. Because I think all of us deep down really want meaning in our life. We want our lives to, to have a purpose. We want them to have an end. We want to have a reason for getting up in the morning, a reason for living. And he's found that. He's found his, his identity. And he's this, this voice crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight Make straight his paths. So he's come a long way since his infancy. And the people ask, you know, what then will become of this child? And we start to get, we start to get a, a glimpse of this in this kind of wild man out in the desert that's pointing out, you know, the path of repentance, the path of, of turning our lives to, uh, to prepare for the way of the Lord. So that's this Sunday's, this Sunday's gospel. But kind of fascinating, this gospel right here kind of gets picked up in the gospel according to John. So if you've got your Bibles, unfortunately this is not one that's going to be in the pew missile. We're going to flip to John chapter 1. So it'll be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John's the, the gospel after that. And start in chapter 1 again. So I'll give you a moment or two to get there. All right, so John chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it but admitted, I am not the Messiah. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not unworthy, I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So they they come out, and it's, it's a very similar scene there, but he gets like the 20 questions from everybody. They're trying to figure out who he is, and I think we, we do that with people, and we've got a whole lot more means now, right? When you're, when you're, you know, your sons or daughters, 
you know, bring home their first boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, you, you're going to figure out who that person is, right? You're going to check social media, you're going to ask around on the neighbors and try to figure out who, who is this person. And that's, in some ways, what the, the people do, right? They, they, they ask him, you know, are you Elijah? Are you one of the prophets? Who are you? And he just says, I'm a voice crying out in the desert to make straight the way. And this is this whole path of repentance, right? To, in some ways, to straighten up, if you're making a way straight, think about that, like, it's kind of easier around us where, um, where uh, the road, where it's flat, right? And you can make a straight road real easy. But if you go to West Virginia, where you got hills everywhere, if you're going to make a straight road, you're basically going to have to knock down all the hills. And you think about, and he's in the hill country. And so that's basically what he's saying. If you're going to make a straight road, you got to clear things out. And so the same thing happens in our lives. If we're going to give a place for the Lord to come, if he's going to find a place to go, we've got to clear things out. And so to even ask, okay, what, what is it, Lord, this Advent that needs cleared out in my heart? And one of the other great examples that John the Baptist gives is his humility. The one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. Now, you know, a lot of days I wear sandals. Uh, it was raining today, so I decided that wouldn't be a good, good choice of footwear. But to think, if somebody says they're not worthy to untie sandals, I wouldn't let anybody untie my sandals because I think that's way too degrading for somebody. Like, oh, let me, let me get your shoes for you. No, I'm a, I can get it. I'm not 95 years old. I can get my shoes off. But John the Baptist says he's not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He's talking really big about the one who is to come, and even he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he's promising big about the one who's coming after him, and the next day he shows up. So if we continue in verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one for whom I said, a man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down like a dove from the sky and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, on whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. So um, you might have recognized some of these from the Mass. So as Jesus shows up, now John's got his crowd and can imagine you got a crowd of people and he points out just one person in particular and says behold the lamb of god behold him who takes away the sins of the world and of course at mass we do that every mass right we behold the lamb of god behold him who takes away the sins of the world blessed are those called to the supper of the lamb and so invite people to this this great supper so there he is behold the lamb of god we just plagiarize the words of john the baptist and he talks about how he saw the Spirit come down upon him like a dove. And you remember the scene of 
Jesus's baptism, which we got out there. So it's an allusion, a reference to that, where the Holy Spirit comes, comes upon him as basically this confirmation. He sees this and he gets to testify. He's the one. You've been waiting for so much. And people are drawn to John, right? They, they want to see something. They want to see someone. And there he is. I wonder if people were underwhelmed. I wonder if when people saw Jesus, they're like, really? I mean, we've been waiting for decades, for centuries, for him. Like, we just saw him walk out here, right? He, he got baptized like the rest of us. Is that, is that really it? And how often that's a, that's a question we have in our own lives too. Right? Is, that, is that really it, Lord? Is this all there is? This all there is? Isn't, there, isn't there anything else? We kind of have this great anticipation of, what, of what's to come. And you can get this in so many, so many ways of our life. Right? We get into a place in, the, in our work, in our job, and it's like, is this it? Is this all there is? I mean, I think couples in a, in a marriage get to that point at some point. You know, maybe it's 10 years in, maybe it's 25 years in. I don't know. We're like, is this, is this it? I mean, I thought we'd be like perfect by now, but yet we're still nitpicking each other, whatever it may be. Or even raising kids to think like, oh my gosh, I thought we'd be there by now. I thought we'd kind of have our act together. And is this it? And John just simply points out Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sin of the world. And we hear that phrase so much, right? We hear it every time at Mass. But to take away the sin of the world, what's the worst part of being a human being? It's people's bitterness towards each other. It's when people lie. It's when people cheat. People are terrible to each other. And Jesus takes away the sin of the world, like the worst part of humanity, the worst part of all of us, whether it's me personally, whether it's society in general, he can take that away. And that is something else. That, that's not just an empty phrase that Jesus comes to take away the sin of the world, but he actually can if we give it to him. Right? If, we, if we give them, and that's what this whole repentance that John the Baptist calls people to, is, is to take away the, the sin of the world, if, if we're willing to give it to him. Right? If we, he's not going to take it from us, but if we're willing to offer it to him, the worst parts of us, he'll take it away. I think probably married couples know this so well. Like, sharing with each other the worst parts of ourselves can be scary, right? To admit our shortcomings or, you know, and even you think about a, a spouse and say something like, you know, I don't know if they'll find out, so I'm just going to, like, not tell them this one. But to be able to, to, to offer your sins to somebody else and for them to accept it, right, to take away our own sins and to offer that mercy, I don't know if there's a greater act of love that people experience than opening up like the worst parts of themselves, their sins, and letting somebody else receive it and not belittle them and not hate them and not kind of throw it back in their face. And you think that's what, that's what Jesus does. That's what it means to be this like defenseless lamb, right? Not a, not a triumphant figure by the, at any way, right? Not a lion, not a grizzly bear, 
but a little lamb that can take away the worst parts of us. And, and marriage, you know, be, can, can become just a great, a great image of that. And, but, you know, for those that aren't married, you get this in our parents too. You know, you come to mom and dad and you admit, yeah, mom, I stole $5 out of your purse. Never did that, but uh, <laughs> this decade. Um, sorry. Uh, anyways, all right, so you get the point. Jesus comes to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist invites us to repent. But something happens in John's life that, you know, after everything, these three stories we've, we've read, his annunciation and his birth, and then him kind of calling the, his intensity, and then this last one where he talks about Jesus taking away the sins of the world, if we look at the third Sunday of Lent, so if you just, if you've got the pew missile, you just kind of flip a page. Actually, we've got to skip the Immaculate Conception, so we're going to go if you're in this, it'll be page 62. If you're in your Bibles, it's going to be Matthew chapter 11. So this is the gospel for the third Sunday of Advent. So be December, I think the 11th. We're going to start with verse, verse 2. When John heard in prison, so first of all, John the Baptist has now been arrested and he's in prison, okay? And there's a whole different story about that, about how John got to be in prison, and um, we don't have time for that, but if you want to talk afterwards, it's, oof, it's a doozy. When John heard in prison the works of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to him with this question, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? I don't know what happened to the man of conviction. Right? John was such a man who believed. Right? He was, had that fire flowing through his veins. He was willing to call people brood of vipers. He's saying, behold the Lamb of God. And now he says, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? We'll keep going. Jesus said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. So basically, he tells them about all these signs, right? He, he tells them, right, all of these signs that the Messiah is here. The blind are walking, the, the, or the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. As they were going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out the de to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine cloth clothing are in royal palaces. Then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is, the about, this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, 
there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So maybe just to, to back up to that first part of that, that gospel passage, are you the one who is to come? A man of such confidence, or a man of such like passion, of such conviction, now all of a sudden seems to doubt. Maybe you wonder why did he doubt? Maybe he's been in prison for a couple years and he thought, Jesus is the Messiah, this wouldn't be happening to me. Or maybe he would expect, I don't know, maybe the, the rulers of Israel to be overthrown. Or maybe he thought there would be a new, a new kind of regime in town. Or whatever he thought, there's dejection now. I mean, we've probably all been there before. Right? And even maybe in our faith lives, we have this like conviction at one point in our life. Maybe you had a powerful experience five years ago, or maybe there was something, you know, on, on uh, you know, a high school retreat or something like that, and there's this just absolute conviction that you know, that you know, that you know. And then life happens, and you think, ah, are you really the one, Jesus? Like, are you really the one that can take away the sins of the world, that can offer life? And that doubt creeps in. And it, it did for John the Baptist, who was maybe one of the greatest, the greatest saints to ever live. Heck, even Jesus says about there has been none greater born of women, a woman than John the Baptist. So what a great example, and a hard example, but one that maybe we can have a little mercy on ourselves. If we've fallen off the wagon, if we've kind of not been as, as vigorous in following the Lord, that John, John's been there too. And John's, John's had his own, his own doubts. So Jesus then questions the crowd. So they, they go back, right? The, the messengers from John the Baptist return with this message that the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And as they're going off, Jesus began to speak to the crowds, right? What did you go out the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. Then what did you go out to the desert to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing, those who wear fine clothes are in royal palaces, then why did you go out? Three times he asked the same question. What did you go to see? What drew you to John the Baptist? Like, what do you, what do you desire? What are you looking for? And what a great Advent question for ourselves. What are you looking for? What is it that we, we want to see? The Christ child is going to come at Christmas, what do we hope to see from him? What is it that we really desire? What's drawing us there? Even think about those three magi that are going to come. What is it that they're looking to see? What do they want from this, this small child? What do they want from, from our Lord? Like, what dry, draws them there? And it's the same question that, that Jesus poses about John the Baptist, right? Now the Messiah is on the scene. But he, he asks them three times, what are you looking for? What is it that so compelled you about this guy, John? Like, what, what was the draw? What was the gravity? What was the magnetism that took you there? And he says that the things that, the things that didn't, right? A, we, a, a weed, a reed swayed by the wind, or somebody dressed in fine clothing. It wasn't either of those. And he says, well, not fine clothing because they're in royal palaces but to see a prophet. And then Jesus said, this is the one about whom it is written, behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you 
and he will prepare your way before you. And that's why John's an Advent figure. He prepares the way for Jesus. And I think he, he forces us. If we take John seriously, this Advent, right? And these two Gospels we're going to get this Sunday and then the following Sunday. If we take those seriously, he forces us to ask questions as to what we're looking for in life, as to what's important about what direction our lives are going. And sometimes that, that can be a great blessing because that can count, take time to kind of, you know, just like I said, look in the fridge and see what's good there, what's really going well there, and what do we absolutely have to be grateful to God for. But maybe we look in there and there's some, you know, there's some fruitcake that's spoiled. Maybe it was fruitcake and it was never good in the first place. But maybe there's something there that, that could be changed, something that could be, be transformed. And there's a lot more to say about John the Baptist, but that's, that's probably enough in the, in the Gospels here. But we've got a, we got a few minutes uh, left, maybe about 10 or 15 minutes or so. So I'd maybe just try something and see how it goes um, to, to use our imaginations in prayer for just a, just a few moments. And, you know, if you want to you participate, great. If not, that's, that's fine too. But... Um, the Lord gives us our imagination, and he gives us this great gift of being able to, to picture things. And I think John the Baptist, in our own mind, can give a really, a really, vivid, a really vivid image. And so I'd just kind of like to lead in a, in a guided meditation of us meeting John the Baptist together and, and what that would be like, and maybe what, what we would see, what we would experience if we were there alongside of him. So if you're a uh, if you're willing, why don't we just close our eyes? And take a deep breath. Maybe picturing ourselves in the wilderness. A barren desert. Maybe there's some people in our lives that are really important that we go on this journey out to meet John the Baptist with them. So if you think about who those people are, the people you'd walk with, maybe what the conversation is about. Imagine after walking for a few days, well, maybe a few hours, of coming upon the crowd. And off in the distance, you can see John the Baptist. Just try to picture him. What does he look like, his face? 
and maybe what he's saying. If there was any of the words in the scriptures that spoke to you, just to picture John the Baptist saying those words. Pay attention to what goes on in our, in our hearts if we're, if we're really there, being part of John the Baptist's crowd. What emotions do we experience? Maybe even to look at those that we came out with, family member, a friend, whoever it is, and to see the look on their face. As John is preaching, teaching, at the end of his, seemingly the end of his speech, he points to somebody in the crowd. Somebody he had never noticed. A young man in his 30s. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. How does the crowd react to that? How does the man that was pointed out react to that. And how do you react to that? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. been called the lamb, doesn't say a word. Neither does John. And the crowd begins to to mingle. And they begin to separate. 
imagine like after a after an outdoor concert, everybody picking up their stuff. But it leaves you and those you come with with a decision. Where do you go from here? There's three options. Follow John in the desert. Follow the man proclaimed to be the Lamb of God who's got some people with him. Or to go back home. To follow John, to follow the Lamb, or to return home. Maybe just take a moment to weigh all those options. What are you losing in each one? What are you gaining in each one? What are your fears? or any discord between where you want to go and the people around you want to go, your friends, your family. Is there any peer pressure to follow one way or the other? Maybe in your heart now to speak with the Lord about whatever, whatever resolution. To talk to the Lord. Maybe whatever struck you about John the Baptist or the man proclaimed the Lamb or even yourself. And then as we conclude, why don't we just pray and pray in our Father together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I pray that everybody has a very blessed Advent. I know there's still maybe 15 minutes or so before um, the release time, but uh, your kids uh, will be given, I think all the classes will be given a litany to St. John the Baptist. So if you want to pray that as a family to kind of um, basically to, to ask for his intercession, you know, he, he prepared a whole nation to be ready for Jesus. Of course, he can prepare us also. And, you know, I just encourage you, if you want to pray with, with sacred scripture, you know, there's so much, so many great gospels at the start, you know, especially Matthew and Luke's gospels start with the stories of Jesus's birth, and so many people can identify those things, you know, what's going on in people's hearts when they're expecting a child, and uh, the, at the, the event I was, I was talking, I was told you I was at today, somebody told me for the first time in his life last week, he, he pondered what it would have been like to be Joseph's mother in the nativity scene. You think about his, her son's fiance, bride, is expecting. And to think about what a mother-in-law, how she would have taken that. Of course, Joseph is this just righteous man, just man, but how would have his mom taken that? Oh, I've never thought of that before. So, Anyways, the Gospels around Christmas are just so rich, so we can kind of let our imaginations run wild to pick a character to be, anything like that. So thanks for coming. Um, hopefully you have a very blessed Advent season. You'll get one of those, um, one of those litanies, or at least your, your child will.